Greetings, and thank you for checking out this sermon from Kingdom Life Community Church in Morrison, Illinois. If you'd like more information about our church, go to kingdomlife.global. And now, here is the sermon from our pastor, Steve Harmon. I'm a child of God. Father loves me. The Father forgives me. And the Father wants me. I am His, and He is mine. Therefore, my past won't haunt me. The future doesn't scare me. Because in His presence is where I live. All right, you may be seated. All right, I got two Bibles up here today, so um, buckle up. It's going to be a long one. Um, no, just looking at a couple different translations and some notes. Uh, today, I'm going to be kind of going out of uh, the New King James Version um, for today, but I also have the NASB for, uh, for just some notes that I had written in here. So anyway, um, let me just get there real quick so I'm not like scrambling. We're going to be touching just a few different places today. There we go. Um, so as we've been talking about, I mean, this thing about prophecy that we've been talking about has gone a lot longer than I intended it to be. Uh, but the end of this is something that I want to see released into our church in greater detail. And most of the greater detail that I want to see released in the church and and uh, happening is, is this idea of prophecy not being something that is for just a select few. It's something that everybody gets to play a part in because uh, when you filter prophecy from the Old Testament and then filter it into the New Testament, it has been adopted. It's, it's the same words from God, but it's instead of just having certain guys who are prophets, now everybody gets a level of the prophetic that they get to be able to partake in. And that level of the prophetic that is for everybody, the gift aspect of it deals with the edification, exhortation, right? And, and that's where, you know, we're getting words of wisdom or words of knowledge for the body, for people who may be going through some hard times. Uh, maybe they didn't tell anybody and all of a sudden God strikes something in somebody else's heart to say something to them. That's, that's, that's prophecy. And that's God breaking through and saying something in the midst of maybe what you're going through to say, listen, uh, as I, for instance, um, let's just say this. Somebody would come up to you and say, hey, listen, I was reading in Joshua, and uh, Joshua chapter 1, and that's where, you know, uh, Moses dies and Joshua takes over, and I was reading this specific scripture, and, and your face or your name came to my mind, and it was just as I was reading, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you, and I really felt that the Lord was saying that as as I was reading that, that that was for you, so I don't know what, what that means or what that's going through, but just be encouraged that the Lord is with you. So that is an example of how God works in prophecy today. Does that seem hard? Does that seem difficult? What that is is just you yielding your heart to be used by God in the body. It's as simple as that. And so God will speak to you in, through the word. Uh, he will speak into your spirit. Um, he will speak in dreams and visions and all those different kinds of things. And, and God, and, and for what purpose? Not to, be, not to be weird or quirky, but for the body, right? And sometimes people are afraid of letting God out of the box because they see sometimes some silliness. And I, I get that. There, there are some out there. But you cannot throw away the gift because of silly people doing silly stuff. 
You can't, you can't do that. You can't. Because what you're doing is you're choking off the, the voice of God and the spirit of God that's for the body. And we, we can't live without God's word, whether it's written or whether it's, it's speaking into our hearts for somebody else. Or sometimes God will, will speak to you for yourself as well too. You'll be reading a, a portion of scripture like I just did with Joshua and you'll feel an, <coughs> an overwhelming presence of God acknowledging that scripture for you as well too. So we need that for ourselves and we need people to encourage us edify us, strengthen us through the body, and, and prophecy does that. It's not weird. It's not hokey. As a matter of fact, even though it's, it seems supernatural from our perspective, it's actually the natural when you're walking in from God and living in God's perspective. So the supernatural is actually the natural, and it should be the natural in the body, okay? So never, ever does the Bible ever say that these things ever stop until Jesus comes back. See, that's man's interpretation, a wrong interpretation of the Bible by saying that, well, those gifts were for back then and they're not for us. The problem is, is there's so much evidence that those gifts continued working in the church even after the apostles died and miracles were still happening that it really just historically destroys that understanding or interpretation of the Bible. When you go back and look at even the reformers of, of in the uh, 1600s and stuff like that. You see so many type of prophet. You don't hear this from a perspective, but if you do history and look at it of yourself, you're going to see so many types of miracles and prophetic words that were almost just as powerful as what you'd hear back in biblical times that was happening through their ministries. But you miss, but some of that stuff is filtered out when it comes to church history. There's only... I don't know if you knew this, but sometimes you don't get the whole story. If you're watching one particular news channel, you may not get the whole story of what's going on in the world, right? Well, if you're listening to one particular person who has a a specific bent towards the gospel and they're pretty strong about it, then you may not get the other half of what was happening in that moment. This is why it's important that when you're looking at translations or you're going to interpret the Bible, that you be very careful and not interpret the Bible through a prevent a, a pre-filter. It's like I was born in Nazarene, I'm going to die in Nazarene. So every time I read the Bible, it's going to be from a Nazarene perspective. And so because I filter it through a Nazarene perspective, I may miss some things that the Bible actually says. So when you begin to interpret the Bible, what you want to do is you want to move all filters away and just let the Bible speak for itself. And from that, you have to have a historical context about that. What was going on during that time? What was he trying to say? Okay, so... A little bit of a rabbit tail, but that, that was free. So when it comes to prophecy and it comes to these types of things, this stuff should be actively happening in every single church. And even those who don't believe that the gifts are for today are actually operating in the spirit of prophecy. They really are. They may not say, so when I grew up in the church, it wasn't like, you know, I feel the Lord say this. That, you know, uh, and, and we didn't have, and, and also for the New Testament, as we talked about, there's really no thus saith the Lord in the New Testament. When you look at the New Testament, there's, there's no one saying, thus saith the Lord. There's one guy that says, like I talked about before, thus says the Holy Spirit, and he was only half right with his prophecy. Okay, so uh, I, we stay away from thus saith the Lord. And I, and, and, and I know in some prophets that people are saying that, and, but I, I take that with a grain of salt because I... 
very rarely do I want to say, Todd, thus saith the Lord for your life and come down strong like that. Because what I'm actually saying is that the words that God give me are almost inerrant. And I ain't ever going to say that for that, that. I'm not going to say that what God has said through me is inerrant because I know that I can operate in error sometimes. And so sometimes uh, the excitement of the moment can sometimes get me to say something that God didn't say. And I never want to misrepresent his words. I never want to misrepresent God's words. So I will say, God, or I will say, Todd, and no, I won't call Todd God. Forget that. So I will say, Todd, I feel, I feel this impression of the Lord and blah, 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 blah. Is that, because I'm, 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 taking, I'm taking away the inerrancy of my words and saying, because God is speaking, I'm, I'm hearing God through a veil, 1 Corinthians 13. I hear and see through dimly. When I am with him, I'll see face to face everything, right? But there won't be no need for prophecy then. But, but as I'm looking through a veil, then sometimes what I say, I, I only get part, maybe part of the word, and maybe Todd has the other half, and it really just locks in. So I never want to think that my word is also the final word or the completeness of it. I may be a part of it. So prophecy is real, but we want to take off um, the, the filter of the Old Testament through it because the Old Testament is done. Not that it's not important and not that the things that they said didn't lead through Jesus, but when you get to Jesus, what does he say about John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist is the end of the Old Covenant and Jesus is the beginning of the New, okay? And so we're ending this idea. Now, there are there are people who operate still in an office of a prophet, but it's still, it's still filtered through New Testament. Meaning, like, what does it mean to be, well, Ephesians tells us that he gave some to be apostles, some to be, right, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors, and some to be teachers, right? Pastors slash shepherds, same thing. So you may come, he gave some to be shepherds, that just means pastors, and then some to be teachers. So there are people who operate in a higher level of the prophetic. It may seem like an office, but the reality is, is the reason they're operating in that specific place, just like apostles and, and evangelists and pastors and teachers, is so that they can equip the, the body. So there should be operating in the church those who are gifted in the apostolic, prophetic at a higher level, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. For what purpose? To be on a platform, to be exalted? No, absolutely not. To help benefit and train and teach the body for what purpose? Ministry. Out on the streets. Taking it to the street. Right? Taking it to the streets. Now, here's what we do. We're fine with pa evangelists, pastors, and teachers. So we're on three-fifths. So the church is operating on three-fifths of what God has given them. So, well, we're fine with evangelists. Billy Graham was good. We don't have a problem with that. Pastors, obviously, we have pastors. And perhaps we have teachers. But this whole apostle thing was over. This whole prophet thing was over. That's the silliness. The Bible never says that. But because of silliness, people have adopted a wrong interpretation because they can't deal with what's wrong. So instead of disciplining what's wrong, 
they've walled it off and said it doesn't exist. And if we don't discipline wrong stuff and allow the wrong stuff in the body, then you're turning away people from what the body is supposed to be. And the reason we don't like discipline, the reason some people in their hearts right now are getting a little troubled is because you don't want to put yourself under the word of God. You want to do what you want to do when it comes to prophecy. And you don't want to be held accountable to it. You just want to say what you want to say and fling it out there like a gunslinger. You understand that everything that comes out of your mouth that you say is from the Lord, if it is not, you are held accountable for those words. So it's, there's no time to be a gunslinger in the house of the Lord to just get under a feeling that you may call the anointing and start whipping stuff out there. That's dangerous. And that's not where we want to go. We want the prophetic to be what it's supposed to be under the anointing and under the, the governance of the Holy Spirit, not doing what we want to do and then saying, tagging the Holy Spirit's name along with it. Now, that doesn't sound fun, especially to those who've come from more of a, 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 a different background. And it sounds maybe too much to those who've come from a more background of just evangelist pastors and teachers. So what we do at the church is we stand in the middle and we're marrying the two together and saying, yes, we're going to operate in this, but no, we're not going to go into somewhat silliness. And we're going to, we're going to do what we can to keep the gifts pure for what its intention was for the body, for training of the body, for equipping of people so they can go out and do the work of the ministry the message of the Lord. So now we're talking about prophetic words. And so there are prophetic words that are spoken over people, individuals. There are prophetic words that are spoken over, uh, that God has given prophetic words over cities and territories. And there are prophetic words that God has given over churches. So listen, for those of you who've been in more of an evangelical background, I've never heard this kind of stuff. It may get kind of uneasy for you, but I'm not being silly. I'm I'm telling you of how things have, have, have been shaped uh, from the beginning, okay, because when, when we, th- what I'm telling you is biblical, when we look at how the world was shaped and, and God was, God made man and God gave him authority in this physical realm, we know that God gave authority in the spiritual realm to angels and principalities and rulers who were good had not fallen over these territories. So there was this partnership or desired partnership between God and the angelic realm and man of territories and authorities and rulers working for the Lord. And where we get this, we see this um, in when we take our filters off and we begin reading the Bible. We see this actually in the Bible. And one of them that's very clear where we see this is in Daniel when Daniel began to pray, right? And he was praying, and it wasn't until like, I forget the number of days, 20, 21 days, something like that, that, that uh, Gabriel was withstood by the prince of Persia. That's not an earthly king. The prince of Persia was a fallen angel who was given a territory, and because he rebelled against God, or because he rebelled against God, and then man rebelled against God, man had authority, but man had given over authority to the enemy because he could not be obedient, and so now these authorities, even though they're against God, they're still in ruling places in spiritual realms. 
This is why when we see what the New Testament talks to us about that when Jesus came, right, he disarmed them and, and made them null and void. But that's not, in the, that's not yet. So Daniel's praying. The Lord dispatches an angelic messenger to him named Gabriel, and he was fighting against the prince of Persia, but he needed Michael to come who is an archangel, to come and fight on his behalf against the prince of Persia so he could get the message through to Daniel. Make sense? So it's not just reading over these things in the New Testament. It's like, oh, spiritual principalities, rulers, blah, blah, whatever. You know, sometimes we fly by stuff and don't understand what the Bible is really talking about supernaturally. Now, so there are territories. There are still spiritual. So the devil has no authority, right? but he hasn't been judged yet. Just like we've been given authority, but we, haven't, we have authority now, and we have kingdom now, but we don't have the fullness of it. it, it there's more coming later, right? So that there hasn't been judgment on the enemy yet because that's a lake of fire and a finality thing, but he has been disarmed. So what is he back to doing? He is back to telling you lies to get you to succeed your authority over your life back over to him. That's all he's got. He only has what you give him. The devil can't make you do nothing. You succeed your authority and your, your territory and your sphere of responsibility to him, but he, doesn't, he can't take it. The only thing he has is a loud mouth and a lot of deception and intimidation. Those are what he operates on, okay? Now, I know we're going a long way around the, the block on this, but I... It, feeder stuff. So that means that the devil, the enemy, all those things can still speak today, which is why we want to be careful what we're saying when it comes to prophecy. And we want to keep our hearts uh, pure and yielded to the Lord because I don't want to repeat anything that the enemy has to say. And sometimes the enemy is not saying the most evil thing in the world. He didn't say the most evil thing in the world to Eve. He just told a half truth. And then when she looked at the half-truth came the deception. Oh, you're not going to die. You're not going to, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Don't worry about it. It wasn't like, hey, Eve, you know what? You need to pick up some stuff. You go to the throne room. You need to stick your finger in the face of God and blah, 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 blah. See, he's not going to do that because he knows that you're not going to respond to that. So what he does is he gets you to compromise on the small things that will lead to compromise in the big things. So you become a believer, and you're strong, you're walking the Lord, and the devil goes, hey, go sleep with a bunch of women. Oh, okay. No, 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 it doesn't start with that. It starts with a compromise of watching things that maybe you shouldn't watch, that, and then it begins leading and planting seeds, and, and your mind starts to turn towards things that it never was turning to because you decided to listen to a small thing over here. See, he's always throwing seeds and darts, and he wants them to grow bigger. All right, so... That being said, uh, so you, we, we know what's going on in Genesis, and ev- the world's all tip-turvy, everything's turned up down, the authority of the, the realm has been given over to the enemy and the principalities of darkness at that time. We know that Jesus is going to come back. Uh, the reason this is important is because of the second part of what has been spoken over our church. Last Sunday, the first part of what I, the two words that were spoken over our church. The first one was the hospital, the spiritual hospital, right? And we took Isaiah 61, uh, where Isaiah says, and Jesus repeats in Luke, I think chapter 
4 or 3, where he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, right? To preach the good news, to bring sight to the blind, the brokenhearted, bind up the broken, all these different kinds of things. Jesus is talking about a spiritual hospital type of a word that he came to fulfill. And that word, and that, that's not a word that just lived and died with him. That's a word that has been passed on to churches. Our job is to carry the same message with the same power to lost and broken people. And that is one of the words that has been spoken by different people at different times over this church. We're a spiritual hospital. And if you stay, you will experience the healing that God has for you. Now, the second thing that has been spoken over our church in the past, uh, some, I think, from people here too, but from others, is that we are a sending agency, right? Spiritual. Like, you're going to be sending people. People are, and, and we've experienced some of that. There's a reason why the Johnsons aren't here, Correct. They have been sent, and we have played a large part of sending the Johnsons to Honduras. Now, we cry about that because we miss them, but we're not pulling them back because we miss them because they're, they're entering into the call of God on their life, even though it's going to be hard, which is part of the call of God on our life as a church is to send them to different parts of the earth to carry the message of God. Now, I'm here to tell you that we have just scratched... We've just, you know, we've only just begun to walk in that prophetic word. Right? Okay. So, that's free. Anyway, so, um, we have only just begun to walk and scratch the surface of those prophetic words that have been spoken over our church, which means this. It's not that we never believed them. There's a timing thing. And now we see we've had little things that have happened that have pointed us, yeah, that's going to happen, that are going to lead to greater things. So, so what that's saying is, is that uh, there's going to be a place where God is going to send people that are broken. Ta-da! So don't be surprised when people who are broken start walking through the doors because this is the place for them to be, to experience the healing of the Lord. Second, there's going to be people with calls on their life that are going to be for Jerusalem, meaning here, right? Judea, Samaria, and to the other ends of the earth that we as a church are going to be sending people to. Now, we've got to grow in the sending aspect before we can start telling people, hey, come on in and we'll help you get to where we got to go. No, no, there, there's got to be things set in place. There's going to be structures. That's not just something. That's not, we don't just gunsling that. We don't just say, hey, oh, I, you, wow, Silas, you got a heart for uh, Mongolia? Great, man, I know you're only 12, but let's get going. We'll send you off, buddy, have fun. Oh, that's silliness, right? There's things that we put in place to help people uh, protect, right, get them. So if Silas says, I feel like I got, a, I got a heart to go to Mongolia right now, I'm like, that's great, you're not going, sit down. But what we are going to do is if you do have that heart, let's research Mongolia, <laughs> And if it's really a burden, then maybe some of the things that mom and dad do is like, all right, maybe there's a family trip to Mongolia, a family mission trip. She said yes, but I'm, you know. Um, I don't got a problem with Mongolia. I'm, stop interrupting. Anyway, so. Um, you see, so there's things we put in place. So it, it's very dangerous if someone comes to you and says, I got a calling. Then you say, hey, great, let's fulfill it and get them out the road. There's got to be a time of testing to see if that's what God has really said. And, if, and then there's that time, like Moses on the backside of the desert, where we got to say, listen, are, are you going to be under submission? Because if you're not going to live under submission to God, you're not going to go on a mission trip. At least we're not going to send you. 
I'm not going to send somebody to another land, and I'm not going to let somebody come and preach in this pulpit who does not live under submission of the Holy Spirit or to governing authorities. Everybody's got governing authorities, no matter how free you think you are in the sense of, well, I can just do what I want. That, God doesn't do that. He doesn't hire gunslingers, and he doesn't, he doesn't just let people do what they want. People live under the guide. Listen, even the gifts, right? When they spoke in tongues, they spoke in tongues as was given them by the Holy Spirit. So prophecy is as been given by the Holy Spirit. But you can grow in prophecy, and the way you grow in prophecy is by intimacy with the Lord. Jesus said, my sheep will hear my voice, will know my voice, right? So if you are his sheep, you will hear his voice. As you begin yielding yourself in that process, I believe, I know what happens, is there are... He, tr- he wants to trust you with what he wants to give you. And the way you, you grow in the trust is by living in greater submission to him through his word and through the spirit. Then he begins to trust you with the greater things. You making sense? Is it making sense? Okay. All right. So I'm not just going to walk up to the Mississippi and, and part the Mississippi with, because I heard Moses did it with a staff. He's not, ask, he's not asking me, that's me looking for proof. And sometimes people are looking for proof of God through the gifts instead of believing by faith. Now this becomes important, and now we're going to talk a little bit more about what it means to be a sending agency, which is about the message of God. Now, the idea of a sending agency goes far, far back. It goes, uh, let's talk about Abram for a second in Genesis chapter 12. What does God say to him? He says, get out of your father's house, Right? get out, right? Get out of your father's house and go to a land that I'm going to give you and all these different kinds. And then at the very last thing he says to him, he goes, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Well, you know the story of Abraham, right? Actually, there are three major faiths that claim him. The Jews, Muslims, and us. In Genesis chapter uh, 12, he says that in you all the, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, when you look at Romans chapter, yes, <clears throat> chapter 4, listen to what he says. What shall we say that, say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed in the righteousness, and it was credited to him, believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Here's what we want to understand. The first, the very first statement that we, we build. Abraham wasn't justified because of what he, he'd done. Abraham was justified because of what he believed. Are you hearing me? He was justified because he believed what God said. Not just because of his works. Now, if you believe what, what God is saying, then that's going to transfer from your head and your spirit into your actions on the earth. We get that. It's the same today. 
what James talks about. Don't just be a hearer of the word, be a doer of the word, right? Because of what you believe, it needs to transfer into your actions. If there is something there that is not getting from belief into actions, then we've got a problem. We have to go back to elementary principles of the gospel and find out where we misfired and why isn't what you believe transferring into what you do. Make sense? So he is justified because of what God said. And Romans is going to tell you, like, listen, this justification doesn't come through the law like the Jews were believing because there is no law back here. The law is not till Moses, hundreds or a thousand years later, whatever. Here is about just believing what God said to him, and because of that, he believed God. It was credited to him for righteousness. So he's getting credit for something by believing God, and that belief that he has in God is turning into, aren't you glad about one thing, that Abraham can mess up and make mistakes? Aren't you glad about that? Because what God was never saying to Abraham was, if you follow me 100% of the time, everything that I say and do not question, then I'll credit to you to, you to righteousness. That's not what God said. He got out of his father's house. He's going to the land of Canaan. He's going to face opposition. Some things he's going to do right. Probably most things. I'll give him that much. Some things he's going to do that, well, maybe not quite. But because he's on the path of pursuing to what he believed God said, even his mistakes are covered in grace because he's at least headed in the right direction because of his belief. We see that throughout the New Testament, don't we? We see that in David's life, don't we? We've talked about this before. There's not a difference between David and Saul in what they did. Not a difference in what they did, but there was a difference in what they believed. Are you hearing me? There's a difference in what they believed because David believed in what God said. So that even when he met, that's why when he messed up, he came back and repented wholeheartedly for the bad stuff that he did, Saul, because he chose really not to follow or believe in God, was always trying to keep a position and honoring himself before man instead of, being cared, instead of caring what God had said. So it's not about messing up and making mistakes. If you're truly following the path of God, when you do make mistakes, you'll know where to go and you'll know how to process that. That's the grace of God. See, when I grew up, I always thought, man, you keep making mistakes, and, and there's only so many mistakes you can make. I, I grew up believing in my little heart that I could sin past his grace. Oh, uh, Jesus, how, how many times should I forgive my brother? Seven? No, 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 70 times seven. Dude, I blew that before I was eight. Probably before I was five. I blew that number. And Jesus is not putting a number on, on forgiveness. He's just saying, that's so far out there. Stop being so centered on sin and start being centered on belief of who I am. Because if you center yourself on belief on who I am, that's going to take care of these other issues. But if you're so focused upon sin, what are you going to manifest in your mind? A sinful mind. 
But if you focus your mind on the glory and goodness of who he is, even when you do make mistakes, you'll know where to go to because of his grace instead of always feeling that he's, at some point he's just going to nuke me with a lightning bolt. God has not appointed those who believe in him for wrath. God is not willing that anyone should perish, but that all should come into the saving knowledge of him, knowing full well that they won't, but that's his will. And he's gone to incredible lengths, and he's still going to incredible lengths because of his grace to bring opportunity to those to see him and receive him. Now, so Abraham is justified by what he believed. Okay? Follow me here. Now, we understand that we are justified in the same way by what we believe about Jesus. You are justified by what you believe and what you received. And because of that, there's a transformation that happens in your life that all of a sudden you've gone from this person to this person. You've been given what I like to call a God conscious. So even though I was raised up in the church and I knew right from wrong but had no power in my body to do right, like Paul says, I get that. What I will to do that I don't do. But what I will not to do, that I do all the time. I understood that from the church because that's exactly how my life played out. And for most of us, the same way. And so the only answer to that that Paul gives in the next chapter is, I think, who will save me from, from this? And Paul says, well, I think God through Jesus Christ, my Savior. That's the only answer. He doesn't go through a seven-point message of what you can do to be a better you. He just says it all relies upon the sacrifice of what Jesus said and what Jesus did. That's what saves you from where you're at. So I am saved because I believe that Jesus was my only hope. And I believe that he was the unique, some of you King James will say only begotten. The word is really unique, but that's okay. He's the unique son of God, unique in the sense of he is the only one that can do what God has asked him to do because one, that he's pure, and two, that he's obedient to the point of death and going to the cross. And because of that, my belief in that, I am saved. I am no longer going to hell. I am not, I have been translated from a son of darkness into a son of light. And now I'm still not perfect, but I'm walking on the path of what I believe and it's, it's transitioning into my work. So when you got saved, there were some things that happened right away. Some of you used to cuss like sailors, and all of a sudden you got saved, and cussing was like gone. There are some things that happen right away, and there are some things that seem to take a little while. You've still been transformed, and you're experiencing the grace of God in all of it. Sometimes the things that you're struggling with, that you're walking through life, trying to get through, are, are still evidence of not your failure, but of God's grace. Because you keep, keep, keep having to come back to the well of grace because of this. We've made that look like, oh, you, you know what? You just can't get perfect. Well, congratulations, nobody can. If you could get perfect, then Jesus wouldn't have to have come. I need to keep going back to the well of grace. I do. But we've said that because you suffer with these things right over here, 
then you keep going back to the well of grace. You're just trying his, you're just trying it. Somebody's going to give up on you. Where, like, if, if you're struggling with, with uh, uh, porn or if you're struggling with alcohol or if you're struggling with any of this kind of stuff, you keep testing that grace, man, someday it's going to end. But over here where there's gossip, he's got all the grace in the world for you. Well, last I saw in the Old Testament, just saying, the biggest thing that God judged him for was their complaining. Still love me? Grace, 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 grace. Okay. Like, see, if you're way off base, trust me when I say that I'm not. Because if you don't operate in the right filter, the gift will be kind of polluted. Let me ask you this question. If I got, if I went to Iceland, right, and I went to one of those pure glaciers that are maybe melting during the summer, and I got that, filled that jug, five-gallon jug up with the purest water, the freshest water you ever come, and I took just a, a little eyedropper, that's a five-gallon bucket, I took just a little, just a little eyedropper, a little eyedropper, a little drop thing of, of dog urine. Just a little, just a little drop, just a little drop. There's five gallons of pure water. It's just a little, little, tiny little drop of, of dog urine. It's, it's still good water. You'd all drink it, right? But you expect other people to drink it from you. Right? I'm not trying to be mean, and I'm not trying to rake anybody over the coals because we're all in the same place together. Grace, 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 grace. But we have to have our eyes opened a little bit to see that, listen, I'm not so perfect that I'm better than somebody who's struggling with something that's different from me, but we're all in the same place. Okay? So, we'll all go home, we'll wash our mouth out with soap because of the pure water and dog urine thing. I get that, okay? Well, we'll get through that together. All right. Now I'm starting to drip, but I'm pulling her back. So Abraham is justified because of what he believed. You and I are justified because of what we believe and that transition now that our actions are now different. Our actions are not determining our belief. Our belief is determining our actions. And true belief will determine true actions, right actions, okay? Now, we see here, um, looking down in, in Romans chapter 4 and verse 7, look what he says. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and those whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not account. Now, what did Genesis chapter 13? And in you, all the families, not, not the Jewish families, not the Jewish tribes, but in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Listen, blessed is the man, right, whose lawless deeds have been forgiven. Blessed is the man whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into the count. So the blessing of, because people will say, the blessings that happen for Israel are not for the day, today. But I, I have a problem in some way because, because Galatians, all of Galatians tells me that I am grafted into Israel. Israel is not grafted into me. I'm, I'm grafted into Israel. Israel is the chosen. Right? Does God have two brides or one bride and one mistress? No. He has one bride. And in that bride, we're all equal. We're all the same. 
And in Abraham, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. Now, here's what I'm saying. This is where it comes to the sending agency. The reason we send people to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and in the other most parts of the earth are because we are carrying now that blessing that started way back here in Abraham, filtered through the nest. The blessing is the message of God. The, met, the blessing is salvation. And in you, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. How? Because there's going to come a time that I'm going to bring a savior. There's going to come a time where I'm going to set the scales straight. What's been required because of your sin, I'm going to pay for. And I don't know any other greater blessing on the earth than that for mankind, first and foremost. So we are a sending agency. First of all, we got to be sent to our communities because, they're, because we are a church that has been given that same message that the apostles were given. Well, here's where, if, if the apostles are over and done with, then so would be their message. Now, I'm not saying, now, apostles wrote scripture, so I will qualify with that saying is that we don't, we don't need scripture. There's nobody writing scripture anymore, but writing scripture was a job that they were given not just who they were. So the, the job description of those apostles and their letters became scripture. But we still needed apostolic influence in the world today. So what does that mean? Or prophetic influence. What does that mean? That, that God is still having those things happen and should be happening in the church for the purpose of equipping people to carry the blessing, which is the message of salvation, to the other most parts of the earth. It is not for you to fill the void of your insecurity and think you're becoming something. Your gift is never going to make you become something. Your gift is, is, is only going to validate what God has already said about you. Your, significance, your significance comes from his person, who he is, and what he said over you. So you've got to, like you operate in belief about salvation, you've got to operate in belief about what God says about just you now, that you're a child, that you're a son, that you're a daughter, that you are loved, that you are wanted, that he is good because we struggle today in the church with really thinking that God is good. That's one of the things that the enemy comes and attacks you with is God's goodness. But how can God be good in the midst of all this horrible stuff? God is good because he multiplies his goodness through us on the earth. We are his carrying and sending agency. The church, those being equipped to go out and share the message that people can get saved, healed, delivered. I'm his, right? Saved, healed, delivered. Now, I know because you're human and you're frail like me that sometimes we're going to, we struggle. I get that which is why we still need the edification, the exhortation, all of that comfort from each other to still continue on the path of I'm his, even though I'm struggling, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, right? He is still with me. And so I'm going out, if I'm going out, if I'm gonna be a sending agency, then the first thing I gotta be, know is know that I have been sent. 
You may not get sent to the other most parts of the earth, but you're sent to your neighbors. You're sent to your community. You're sent to your counties. You're sent to the states. You are an ambassador, a representation of Christianity on the earth because of the Holy Spirit that lives within you. You ain't Jesus. Don't get me wrong. Don't hear me. You ain't the man, Jesus, but you have the man, Jesus, living in you through the power of the Holy Spirit. And first thing that happens is you get changed into his likeness again. Adam and Eve were created in his image and likeness. Coming to Jesus, they sin. Coming to Jesus after sin, what happens? The Spirit of God comes inside you, and what does that mean? It's his image and likeness again. So you carry that wherever you go. Now, if God be for you, then who can be against you? Now, Jesus is coming. The disciples have been with him for roughly three years. Listen, would you not all agree that Jesus is the greatest Bible teacher that ever lived? Yeah, I would. I don't think there's ever been any teacher. I mean, Spurgeon, people are like, hey, Spurgeon was the greatest. Nope, it's Jesus. I mean, Spurgeon was good. Don't get me wrong. I ain't dog on Spurgeon. He was a great preacher, but he wasn't better than Jesus. Jesus was the best thing that ever happened to those 12. And do you know that they still struggled? You know, eat my flesh, drink my blood. <laughs> Sometimes Jesus is going to require your belief to go into places where your understanding won't go. There are times, let me say that again, will Jesus require your faith to go where your understanding won't yet? Not saying it won't get there, but sometimes he requires your faith first before he gives you understanding of why. I can come up with you a hundred reasons why I don't want the Johnsons to go to Honduras. They could have probably come up with a hundred reasons of why they didn't want to go. I can come up to you with 200 reasons of why I should not go permanently to another nation of the earth. We've all got reasons and excuses because we don't understand the why. And we're not willing to engage our faith before understanding. Engage your faith before your understanding. I'm not telling to be stupid. I'm not saying, but I'm saying in the little things where God has said something, don't wait until you understand absolutely everything. Sometimes you're going to have to take some steps of faith and watch as you begin, the understanding begins to unfold through what happens through your obedience. Although he said all these things in Genesis chapter 13, there's no, how's that all going to work out? How am I going to have a son when I'm old? How, you see what I'm saying? So Abraham embraces what God said even though he has no understanding of how it's going to happen, which is evident in some of their conversations. Well, I'm just going to sleep with my handmaid, and that'll make, no. Well, you, you know, your wife gave you permission, so you can sleep with the handmaid, and she can have a child, but that's not going to be the child of promise. Because what's going to work its way out is, is going to be by my miraculous power, because God opens dead things. He resurrects dead things. We think the hardest thing that God does is resurrecting dead people. The hardest thing that God does, if there's anything hard for him, is resurrecting hope in dead people. That's the big deal. Okay, now, 
These disciples have been with Jesus for so long, they walked him for three years, and they still get to the point where he's going to die on a cross, and they all leave him, and one, two of them betray him. The rest run away from him, except for John, who follows him with his mother. But they're running. They're scared. They're in fear. So they knew what he said. They didn't necessarily have the understanding, and, but they didn't engage faith at that moment, their belief. You can say John probably did, but so you got Judas who hangs himself, and then he hung himself. They cut him down, and he falls, and then burst open upon the ground. Okay? You got Peter who denied him three times in, in front of everybody, right? Lord, I will follow you unto death. You're not going to be with me for, through the night, Peter. Right? And, 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 and the rest of them are run. Mark talks about this guy who ran in the garden fleeing naked. It's probably because I was Mark. Young squirt following Jesus. Guy's coming with swords. He didn't even go back to get his stuff. <laughs> He's just like, ah! Running naked through the night for fear. So what I'm saying to you is, is that Jesus has spoken some stuff to some people who are very important to him, who are going to be carriers of his gospel. And they've gone through an area of, they followed him through three years, but they've gone through an area of where their, their belief would not go because they didn't understand. And because of that, they run. They hide. Now they have to be restored. But in that restoration that God does to them, then he says to them, now listen. You ready? Go into all the world and preach the gospel. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned, and all these signs will follow those who believe in my name. Right? Okay, well, let's, let's move to this. Then the 11 disciples went into the Galilee, into the mountain to which Jesus had appointed for them, and when he saw them, he, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Listen, this is where people are going to fight you sometimes, and even Christians, so-called Christians, are going to say that Jesus never said that he was God that's coming out big again. It's always been around, but it's a silly thing because Jesus, if he wasn't God, he would not have let them worship him. So when the, you ever see in the other things where these people see angels and they bound the worship, the angel, they're like, no, 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 you don't worship me, right? Angels, the good angels are like, you don't worship us. That's, you worship God. And even though they're not entertaining it, they want no mistakes or no misunderstandings. You do not worship me because I'm an angel. Paul, when they thought he was Hermes and, and the other one was Zeus, and they were like going to worship Paul, he's like, no, no, he tears his clothes. We are not gods. Why? Because worship is only given to one, the Father. So when they see him, they worship him, and what you do not hear is Jesus say, stop. Why? Because he's God. And only God receives worship. Several times throughout the New Testament, he refers to himself as God. When he says that, uh, talk to him about I and the Father, when you understand the tradition of where they're coming to, what he is saying is, when he's saying that he is his son, that they are the same in those contexts. Okay? All right. Now, uh, so they worship him here. They worshiped him. And go, therefore, um, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them. Now, listen. 
Make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. So Matthew, Mark, Luke a little bit, because he's talking about the ascension, but then Luke is going to carry it over into Acts, right? John is going to have when they're um, Emmaus Road, and they're getting sent even though they failed, they're getting sent and they're given authority that Acts tells us about. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me, now I'm going to give it to you. Because authority has been switched, taken from the enemy back into the hands of the Father. He could have taken it any time he wanted, but he has a plan. And the plan was is to redeem us and to restore to us the authority that was first given mankind in Genesis, but that we lost. So as that begins to happen and that begins to flow, there's a reason why God has chosen us and he has chosen you to be his carrier of his message that extends the blessing of salvation to all the families of the earth. Doesn't mean they're all gonna accept it. I get that. There are gonna be some people who do not want to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I do not, however, use that as an excuse not to go or not to speak but I do understand that everybody I speak to is not just going to fall under the grace of an anointing and be enlightened by Jesus. I, I get that. But I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not necessarily always the closer of the deal. <laughs> Sometimes I'm just the guy who waters or the guy who plants. And maybe there's a time later on down the road where that, the, that salvation is going to pop up and that person, they're going to receive it. Whatever. I, I, I get it. But if we're going to step into what it means to be a sending agency, which is carrying the message of Jesus to the, met, to the places of the earth, then that means that we personally have to come under that for ourselves, which means as the disciples were sent, so are you. Unless you don't call yourself a disciple, Anybody really want to raise their hand for that? I want to, I want to be a disciple. I want to be one that, that follows him and, 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 and wants to do, do what he says. I, 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 want to, I want to be close to Jesus, but that's going to require me to, to do. Sometimes God will give you a, a word of knowledge, not in the church, but in McDonald's. Whoop, there it is. I know, I was about, I, they don't want me to dance, so I'll tell you. So anyway, sometimes God will give you a word of knowledge in a family reunion where half of them don't like you, maybe. I don't know. I've never been to a family reunion where everybody loves everybody. They're good at faking it, but you know what I'm saying. Sometimes God will, will give you a message in Walmart, Some. Sometimes God will highlight somebody for you. And you'll see them walking in their cart. Maybe you'll just see the heaviness and oppression, spiritual heaviness and oppression all over their life. See, that's where the rubber meets the road, isn't it? When I transition from giving safe words here to words out there where it's not necessarily comfortable or safe. 
but there's where you get to give your life. And before you give your life to a nation, you've got to give your life to the call and in the community that you're in. I think, honestly, I go over this in my, in my own I'm just going to be vulnerable. Can I be vulnerable with you and you not throw a stone at me? I'll just be honest. And we're all human. Sometimes we wrestle. Have, have I laid it all on the altar for him? Is he asking for more? Am I safe and am I comfortable just being your pastor or am I living the call of God on my life? I, I ask those questions to myself and I gotta tell you, there's, you know, we all of it, we have a flesh that says sometimes, oh, you're just doing great compared to the, some of the other people in the class you graduated with. You're far above. You're flying, baby. But I'm not compared to them. I'm not compared to anybody on this earth. I'm not going to stand. I'm not going to bring witnesses <laughs> to the trial room and courtroom to vouch for my character. <laughs> right? If I'm in him, I'm, I'm not going to the great white throne judgment, but I am going to a judgment of, of rewards. Sometimes I ask myself deep, penetrating questions. Are you coasting? Are you just getting by? Or have you laid it all on the altar? And I got to ask these questions because I have to examine myself just like you got to examine yourself. And this is, not, this is not you're horrible and you're not doing a good job. That's not what I'm saying because some of you will go to the Lord and he'll say, and, and you'll, you have answered that call. So I'm not saying that nobody here has ever has, has laid, hasn't laid it all down. I'm not saying, I'm just, I'm asking for myself, God, have I laid it all down and am I willing to leave comfort for calling? It basically boils down to that. Am I willing to leave comfort for calling because you've called me to be a messenger in a different place? Is my life truly yours? And I don't think that ever ends. The only time that ends is when I leave here and I go to be with him. But it doesn't matter if you're 80. You can still sift through those questions. Father, am I doing everything that you have for me or is there more even at 80, 85 or whatever? Even though, Lord, I'm not as in great a shape as I, I used to be. Or even, Lord, that I've got these things coming against me. I've got financial issues here that I got this, that, Lord, blah, blah, blah. Listen, listen, listen. All the issues in your life are nothing compared to a word from him. Because he can move mountains. So if we're going to be a sending agency, if we're going to send others, we can't send people to places we're not willing to go ourselves if he calls. You can go ahead and, and give your life to Jesus. I'll stay back here comfortable. Not everybody is called to go to to every, all, all of the nations, but you're all called to go somewhere and it's gonna stretch your comfort and it's not gonna feel great, but it's gonna test the resolve of have you laid it on the altar and will you do what he asks of you? That's it. And these guys failed, came to a place where they met him it gives them a little rebuke because of their unbelief, but restores them. And after they're restored, 
there's no place they won't go. They were with him for three years. How long have you been walking with Jesus? You say, well, they saw him personally. Well, three years. Some people have been walking with Jesus for 20. That more than makes up for the... <laughs> Again, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be uh, legalistic with this. I just, I want to crack open our hearts and say the calling that God has placed there is going to require us to come out of our comfort zones. And if you're not willing to come out of your comfort zone, then you're going to be uncomfortable with a body that is. And you'll be tempted to want to go somewhere else that's comfortable, that doesn't stretch you. And that is one of the most dangerous things that you can do in your life is to leave the place where God has planted you because you're uncomfortable going where God is calling you. Okay, so we're not going to let that, let that not be said of us. Let that not be said of us. So you say, well, Steve, I'm, I'm not sure where God is really calling yet. That's okay. Don't freak out about that. Just be open to when he does. There's timing things. I'm not saying you all got to get something right now and you better do it. I'm just saying, man, just keep the heart open for when he does because someday... He's a knocking. Someday it's the timing is here. And just keep your heart open and ready for that call. And if you've got the call, but your time is not right, then keep your heart in preparation for when the timing comes. So young people, if he's called you to be a missionary and you feel it deep, here's what you don't do. You don't get a job that pays you $25 an hour Buy yourself a brand new house, buy yourself a brand new car, buy yourself all of these things to what you are enslaved with now that you just can't quite get out of. You prepare yourself. If the call is true, then you make your decisions now and keep your heart and your finances prepared for the call. Because the biggest deterrent against the calling of God is the comfort you've sown into your life before the timing of it. That's just for young people. You older people, you got it. You know it. You know what I'm saying. All right, let's stand. Father, we thank you that you are sending us and you are training us to be ascending people. Lord, I believe that we are, and through this church, are going to be an agency that sends people to the other most parts of the earth. But first, we gotta train them, and first, we have to be willing to be sent ourselves. And so, Lord Jesus, I pray in your name that you would strengthen us, that we would hear your call, because we are your sheep, and that, Lord, we would humble ourselves to you. I bless this congregation, I bless this church, and I bless, Lord God, the word you've spoken over us. And Lord, we choose life, we choose you, and I pray, God, that uh, you would strengthen us. You, <laughs> Lord God, just prepare us for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you. Thanks for joining with us today. And if that message touched your heart in some way, please let us know by emailing us at info.kingdomlife at aol.com. You can also find us and reach out to us on Facebook. And we hope that you will join us again for another podcast from Kingdom Life Community Church.